Hey friends, and welcome to episode 15 of Sprouting in STEM, the podcast about young people in science. I'm Audrey Farrell. <laughs> you have such a different intro voice. It's my waitress voice. Is it? Essentially. It's my waitress voice with a little little squeeze of a NPR. <laughs> Anyways, I am Matthew Murphy. Today, we kind of just wrapped up our semesters, so we're a little, little bit on the tired side. And because... Our brains naturally go to our work. We kind of started talking about code structure, writing your code, optimizing it. Because if you ever end up getting into high levels of research and scientific work, you will inevitably, especially in today's world, you'll end up working with code and running programs. And we kind of just talk about how to do that better. That's really brief. I think you could draw that out a little longer. <laughs> Do you want me to? No, it's a joke because it's really long. I think that was a good intro. It's a great intro. Really riveting content this week. You should keep my comment about your voice. Oh my gosh. All right, then we're good, right? You're happy yeah, with that? I'm good. I'm All good. Right, cool. I'm tired. I'm a very low energy day. I think now that the semester is like officially over. I'm just, I'm done. I'm tired. Like, I tried to do a crossword today and I got too sleepy. <laughs> I've just felt really restless today. Yeah? Because just for the whole past four months, I've been always doing something or thinking about doing something and I've mm -hmm. always had something to do. I still have shit to and do. And now that just kind of fell off. Well, me too, well, but yeah. like not immediately, you know? Mm. So... <laughs> It's such a change of pace. You know, I have a research meeting tomorrow still. So I've spent all day working on getting a plot to look nice. And it does look nice. And it means my code is good. Hmm. That's my story. That's literally what I spent my whole day doing. That and filling out customs forms for sending out the Simon Center newsletter. Which is so boring. Just writing addresses over and over again. That's terrible. By hand. So, it's been like, oh, it only took like, because I had another coworker working on it with me, so it only took like an hour. It was just an hour of continuously filling out customs forms. I used to have an internship at an accounting, in an accounting department. Mm -hmm. And what would always end up happening is, you know, you give, it was back in high school. So, you know, you give the high school intern all the mm. the menial things to do. So most of the time I would spend the last hour and a half of my days just taking the unsealed envelopes and sticking through a machine that seals the envelope. <laughs> it would just be that for an hour and a half. Yeah, on Tuesday we were putting newsletters into the envelopes. And they're like the yellow ones with the little metal thing that folds mm. down. So I got to work. My shift didn't start till like the middle of the day, so the people that had been there in the morning had stuffed all the envelopes in like an assembly line. So I arrived for the closing of the envelopes, and it, my finger still hurts from like peeling up the little metal prongs on those envelopes. Mm -hmm. It like dug under my fingernail, and it still hurts. I think they would have did that when they stuck them in the envelope, you know. And they set up an assembly line. They're like, we'll do every one step at a time. We'll just do the whole stack. I guess. I don't know. It's what they decided to do. Everyone's got their process. Mm-hmm. And then today we're filling out custom forms, and they come with a sticky-backed little plastic thing that you stick onto your envelope and then stick the form inside. It's weird. <clears throat> and I had to read a lot of, like, uh, new international address formats and try and figure out what, what's the postal code in this. It doesn't make any sense. Where are you sending these to? Oh, places all over Europe, mostly. A couple places in, like, Japan. Because hmm. it's the Simon Center, so it's it's sending it to physics places, like theoretical physics institutes in, like, Italy and Switzerland and Germany and all over. Nice. They don't write addresses the same way we do. Nope. And so <laughs> I'm like, which one of these is the postal code? Who's to say? Well, do you have the address given to you? 
Yeah, but then I have to take the address written like on the envelope and then put it into a form that asks you to segment it into uh, like postal code. Okay. Yeah, city, that's annoying. Street, you know, all that shit. That was my day. Sounds like fun. Mm, I'm very tired. Very low energy. I have not had very much uh, caffeine today relative to how much I have had in the past many days. Mm. So now I'm just like, okay, it's time for bed. 5 p.m. I'm out. Thanks. You've lost your primary energy source. It's been... <laughs> I didn't even realize I was getting so like re-addicted to, to like espresso. It just kind of happened. And, like, in my defense, I held out for a really long time just drinking, like, green tea. Mm-hmm. But by the, like, last, the past month, I got back on it. It always comes back to get you. It always comes back. But compared, like, usually in a typical semester for me, it, it starts out, the semester begins with me having one, like, medium size, like, I guess, like, 20 ounces of coffee. That's how it starts. So by the end, I'm having, like, five of those. A lot of it's like a hundred ounces of coffee a day. Yeah, <laughs> so not really. No, <laughs> I think the worst it ever got was one time we went to Panera to study for like eight hours, and you can just keep refilling your coffee mug when you're working at Panera. And so I refilled it ten times without really thinking about it because I was just like, "Oh, I'm exhausted. I should get some more coffee." Mm-hmm. but it was the whole day and so by the end of the day i felt like i might have had a heart attack <laughs> it's just like so hyped up zero sleep only caffeine mm-hmm. but since this semester i started on no coffee by the end i was really only drinking like one medium-sized coffee a day which is great so then what happens in between semesters between semesters it depends on what i'm doing like during the summer, I was on coffee the whole time. I was drinking at least one medium coffee a day, and then sometimes two, and then sometimes I like most days I'd also get like kombucha, which is caffeinated as well. But or like if I'm working, I still I'm still drinking coffee. But I feel like the like typical like for my summer research, it doesn't have the like escalation in stress level. It's way more consistent. Mm-hmm. So I'll just stay at a consistent amount of like. A vaguely normal amount of black coffee. Like, maybe it's a little much. I don't know. Depends on who you ask. Yeah. But it doesn't It doesn't escalate towards the end, really, usually, unless I've got some big presentation or project or something. But winter break, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I don't know if I have enough uh, data points mm-hmm. to speak on other breaks. It'll be a new experiment. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had I haven't had any great winter breaks yet, so hopefully this one this will be the one. I have um. hope. <laughs> well, any big plans? No, it's literally I'm gonna be here the whole time. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna do my thesis stuff. Mm. Try and get a lot of research done so that I can kind of take it a little easier once the semester starts back up because God yeah. knows I'll be busy. Nice. What about you? Um, I'll be spending half of it at home, mm-hmm. taking it nice and easy, mm-hmm. but also starting to work on my thesis. <laughs> uh, I've already started writing it up. Oh, God. So I've got to work on a few sections of that. Well, I started writing it up. My advisor started writing the introduction, mm-hmm. and then he's like, hey, you could do the experimental method section of that. So I did some outlining, and then... Wow, you have an experiment aspect? Well, no, like our simulation set. Okay, I'm like, well, you could actually do things other than code. Not exactly. I got so excited for you. No, I'm not much of an experimentalist. Neither of us are. Um, And then I'll be going on my trip. Oh, I completely forgot you're doing that shit. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean... I don't know how much of a getaway it'll be because I'll still be, you know, <laughs> setting up my simulations to run. Yeah. And keeping track of all that. Uh, I um, I had to run my full simulation code twice today, and each time it takes two hours. 
which I know is nothing. You're used to them taking like nine or whatever. <laughs> my mine now take forty eight hours. Oh. <laughs> See, that's entirely why my project exists, is so that you don't have to do that. Well, not entirely, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I like and last week, because my results were so good last week, my advisor was like, Oh, wait, you could actually replace the code that takes like four days to run. And he got really excited, and now I feel like I need to do more to make it actually work. You have to do in a lot of proving. Hmm? You'll have to do a lot of proving. Yeah, I'll have to get a lot of corroborating data that shows that mine gets you the same results, but faster. Mm-hmm. Which, so far it seems like it, but I have so little data from the original simulation like we have a postdoc that's like hunting it down for us right now. She's like, I think I think it's in a hard drive in my old house. I'll go look. And I'm like, what? it seems, seems a little disorganized. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm waiting to get data from that. But then so I'll, I have a question. Yeah. What about yours makes it quicker? Like what's different? Okay, so it's a little complicated, but essentially. The simulation I'm trying to replace is called OSIRIS. And what OSIRIS does is it simulates two things, two regimes of the system. It simulates a uh, high-energy electron driver, which is the beam that, that drives the whole accelerator system, right? And then it also simulates uh, the behavior of the plasma that, that it's in. And what happens in in my research we're looking at ionization injection methods, which essentially means that you have, right by your beam, you have uh, atoms getting ionized, and so electrons are freed in the system, and they very, very quickly careen back to the uh, to a trailing beam right behind our, our initial electron beam. This is really hard to explain, <laughs> but uh, when you have, when you're trying to simulate a plasma, and there's a lot of charge getting added to it in a very small space. It's um, it's not advantageous to simulate it in the way that it is being simulated before. Because OSIRIS is not designed for this kind of method of plasma acceleration. So what it does is it literally takes like a grid, a spatial grid, and it simulates each part with its own like compute node, essentially. Yeah, so it's like, okay, it's it's literally called a particle in cell simulation. So it takes like these these cells and it says, okay, this compute node's in charge of simulating this cell of the system and this one's in charge of this cell and it does all them uh, essentially separately. But because we're looking at uh, the creation of a beam made of electrons inside this plasma, you collect a very dense region of high charge inside of the plasma which is not what the simulation was built for so it slows down instantly and the whole simulation can't finish until all of the cells are done so you'll have some cells in the simulation that finish in like eh, eight hours which is not great but it's fine you have some that will finish in even less than that but then like that one that has your trailing beam behind it will take days and so the reason mine is good is that uh, it's essentially a quasi-static uh, approximation of the system so we use a, a, um, a different simulation to simulate the fields by simulating the plasma and then we take those fields and we assume that it's just stationary essentially and then analyze the high charge separately that makes sense. It's really it's really dry to just explain it verbally. But it's really exciting if you know all the context for it. It's just it's faster by a lot. Are you the only one working towards something of this sort? Yeah, as far as we know. It's just No one else is annoyed with a 4-day runtime. <laughs> uh I think not that many people use like first off there's not that many people doing plasma acceleration in general it's not that big of a field and then on top of that uh 
Osiris as a simulation is not really being maintained anymore. Uh, the the team that's working on it at UCLA just has other priorities because um, they're the group that developed Osiris is a plasma simulation group, but it's not specific to plasma acceleration or anything. It's it's just plasma behavior simulations, which are their own whole thing of like nonlinear dynamics and really fancy like high high-level computing that I can't understand um, that is far beyond my capability to to emulate but it's not necessary for for what specifically me and my advisor are interested in which is longitudinal beam spread <laughs> real fun but yeah so I don't think there's anyone else working on it because even within the field of plasma acceleration, there's not that many people interested in our method of, of like beam creation, which is ionization injection. So that narrows it down even more. And then you narrow it down even more to people that are looking at longitudinal beam profiles, which is the less interesting really, or the less looked at because a lot of people look at, radial beam profiles and we're looking at longitudinal hmm. that's my story <laughs> so no i don't think anyone else is working on it because it's such a small field already maybe some people in europe but not people that i like we talk to really. mm -hmm. my spine hurts <laughs> have you oh. are you okay i i think like ever since we got out of our exam yesterday and the semester was like over, I think my whole spine just quit. It's because your adrenaline really no, uh, I think drains like, out. It's like gotten to the point where I've just like I've been so stressed and tense and so like hunched over a computer so much, but also so in the mindset of like I just got to get shit done that it didn't like my body didn't let itself feel pain until yesterday and now everything hurts. <laughs> Like, my, my spine has so many, like, issues on its own when I'm not stressed. Mm -hmm. So when I am, like, holy shit, my shoulders are so, like, tense and full of just deep knots. You just need a day in bed. Oh, my God. It hurts so much. Ugh. Have you come up with a name? For yet? my code? Yeah. No, I haven't. I, like, it, my, my simulation really progressed very quickly. It was for so long, I was stuck in just getting tracking one electron to work because mm -hmm. uh, I had data for three of them and three electron tracks from Osiris. And so all I was trying to do was to make the physics corrections in my code so that my code presented the same results as like as Osiris. And that took months and months. Like it literally just is what I was working on until like pretty much December, like the beginning of December, which was like not long ago. It was like a little over two weeks ago. It is, it is currently December. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in the past, but because we've like at that point had essentially accomplished that in the past two weeks, my entire simulation has radically changed. And so now it's like actually producing interesting things. It's not just repeatability tests and making sure that things work. It's like, oh, what does this mean? And like, that's an interesting result that we didn't expect. Like, why is it that way? From the, f it's like new science now, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> Do you feel like you're contributing now? Yeah, it's really nice. It's, and it's weirdly easy. Like. This is something that, like, I knew would happen when I first started writing this code. Because I, I wrote this simulation from scratch. It's completely my own work. No, literally no one else has looked at my code but me. And so every single decision about the structure of it and how I store data and how I plot everything is entirely on me. And I think there's something to be said for really thinking about it <laughs> before you start because I had written a similar simu simulation in C++ last semester that was working-ish but it wasn't obviously wasn't ideal 
And so this semester, I rewrote the whole code from scratch after taking a long think mm -hmm. about how I wanted the structure of it to work. And I'm so glad I did that because what it meant was like, yes, I spent months trying to track one electron. But during those months, I was making structural changes that prepared it to do the significant science it can do now. And so by the time that we had like good results that I could repeat one electron trajectory, I, it was the code was perfectly designed to just instantly switch over to doing thousands of them at once and running specific tests and doing all this interesting stuff with beam energy spread and all that. It's um, it's really, it was it was designed to make like produce those results from the beginning. And so all the functions that I had established could just be utilized in producing new results that were way more interesting than one electron trajectory. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, considering the structure of your code and what the long-term goal of the code is, is so useful for, <laughs> for anything you're writing. And I'm very, very glad that I did it because, like, while the past two weeks have been very transformative and what my simulation actually does, like it's completely changed, but it didn't take me very much time at all. Mm -hmm. I went in and added like one file <laughs> with like 30 lines of code, maybe. And it's just like, yeah, now you've got cool results. It took so little time mm -hmm. and effort because it was already made to do that. Just needed to be prompted to do so, which was great. Yeah. That's one of the things I run into all the time is that when I write, some block of code mm -hmm. and i like just i'll usually just go through and like start from the beginning and just work my way through mm -hmm. it and then i'll end up with whatever format my mind came up with in that moment mm -hmm. and then i feel like i'm stuck in it sometimes yeah like it's hard to that's how i felt it. last semester and which is why i think it's always kind of nice to rewrite your code from scratch yeah and what i've gotten into the habit of doing is before I do anything on my computer, I have my little notebook for research and I open it up and I say, okay, I need my code to do this thing. And so I'll write out essentially the algorithm that I want. And in doing so, I'll think of the questions that I would have thought of while writing code, but now I'm not writing code, I'm just writing it down. Mm -hmm. So I have time to think about it. And so like, I'll be, okay, I can't think of an example that's not like deep into the specifics of my simulation, but I'll be like, okay, I need an iterative method for checking, like, if something has gone from this region of, like, space to this region of space. And I'm like, okay, so how do I define those regions? And then I have to go in and, on a side quest <laughs> and answer those questions mm -hmm. and write an algorithm for determining those. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, okay, so we fixed that. How Now I need to determine what kind of data I'm actually going to store. Like, do I need... Of like a boolean variable for whether it's out of the region or in it or do I want like a ternary data structure so it can be like negative one zero or one depending on where it is and like how am I gonna usefully plot this data and so what kind of data structure do I need in order to produce that kind of plot stuff like that is like usually what you don't think of until after you at least have the data that you want but when you write out everything beforehand, by the time you get data that is good, it's in the form that makes it easy to do other things. So easy to run checks against in other programs and easy to plot in a way that's scientifically meaningful and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I highly advise writing your code down by hand before you type anything. And then you can do it on the train or like in class yeah. or... At work. Because all the details of it are already worked out. Yeah. So writing my code is so easy because I already know precisely how I'm going to solve every problem that could come up because I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good way to avoid like spaghetti code where you're like, you're writing code and then you're like, you've written like a 70 line function and you're like, shit, some of this should be in its own function and then you move it around and then you're like, this should be in its own file, not its own function. Like it's just completely separate and I want to use it in other parts of the simulation. So you move it to its own file and then you've got like six different files with different names that are really similar and you're like, I don't even know what my code is doing anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I still need to work on though because I didn't always do that when I started this code. I Like I didn't 
plan the specific files that would do what. And so they've got very confusing and vague names right now, which I need to fix. And nothing's commented as much as it should be. Mm-hmm. But I think there has, like every month or so, I just take a day and my research goal for that day is not to get any more science out of it is to fix things in my code, like deleting unnecessary variables, cleaning up stuff that could be like better optimized to run the whole thing faster and changing file structures and cleaning, just cleaning things up mm-hmm. and making sure my GitHub reflects all that. <laughs> it's important. Then, Do you think that's really made a difference? Yeah. 10 million percent. I feel like so much, such a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel so much more of like an adult coder. You know, mm-hmm. where I'm not just writing a quick and dirty script that works, but it's ugly. And like, I was talking to Navita about this because I'm still like not, I think my simulation could run faster than it does. Because um, it's definitely not the most efficient by far. There's way better ways I could be doing things. So, but we were talking about it, like the order of operations in writing any simulation code or any code, period, is get it to work first, then get it to work fast. And then make it, like, pretty mm-hmm. and really, like, comment the shit out of it and make it idiot-proof. So I think one thing I'm missing is that I haven't really seen a lot of Python big simulations done. Like, I, I took a class on Python, but we were only writing, like, you know, little one-file scripts that did stupid little tasks in the command line with strings and user input like it's all very simple and so now i'm working with something so big i can have like a lot of like uh like header files essentially that i've made myself but i'm like i don't know how to specify that these are header files in python because i haven't worked on any large scale python codes and so I need to do some research. I think I might like look for an online course or something about like larger computing structure over the winter because I'm a fucking dork. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I want to spend my time. But I think it would be really useful. And I, I just want to know, I like, what can I be doing better in this mm-hmm. code? Because I feel like I'm f- like doing a whole fake it till you make it kind of deal, mm-hmm. which is not exactly how I want to approach my code. But Although Python's a really good code for you to do that with Mm. because there's a huge community around it yeah so many people use it that i can find an answer to all my questions oh yeah what about your code man see my code is different than yours because i only need one file what it's maybe a hundred lines well primarily because everything i do is from a software package so i just load that up and it does it all for me wow so like that takes away all the need for I think that's the difference. Yeah. I have to write my software package. Yeah. That's definitely the that's, difference. Yeah. Like I literally have a, a it's like defined in Python as a package now. Ooh. That I, that I import. I, I need to clean it up so it actually all works. But like, yeah, I have like a whole class, like separate mm-hmm. directory of include files that I import to everything. Yeah. I just import rebound and don't think about it. Write my hundred lines. I don't wonder how many lines of code I've written. I don't think it's that many, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I have probably... I I definitely have two files that are quite long. They're probably about... I mean, quite long in the scheme of uh, multi-file simulation code in that like, none of them should be that long. If If it's a super long file, it should be multiple files. It's the same thing with functions. If you have a function, they say like over 25 lines. If your function is over 25 lines of code, it should be more than one function. Mm-hmm. And which I think for the most part is true. There are some exceptions. I always find that plot plotting code takes so many lines. Oh, yeah. Because you got to like go in and change all the axis labels and all this bullshit that mm-hmm. just it's specific. It can't be split up into separate things. And it's just. We could have functions for change X axis. It takes the same amount of space. It takes more space. It takes more space. Uh, Yeah. So my like, in my code, like every every include file and and utility function I write has a way to check it, which means it has a a plot that shows you if it's working right, essentially. And so, 
there's a lot of plotting functions that are quite long. Mm -hmm. But in general, like my actual files never are are mostly like around 100 to 150 lines. And then I've got a few that are closer to 300. Mm -hmm. Like probably two of them that are closer to 300 right now. So I've probably only really written like 2,000 lines of code for this project. Not counting all the code I've written and then deleted. <laughs> of oh, course. course, yeah. The working the, product the, is Yeah, 2000. the working product is probably around 2,000 lines of it's code. It's a lot less than I thought it would have been. Yeah, it's really not that much. Because I've, I've tried to remove as many redundancies as mm. possible. And I think I've done an okay job. Like, I've done a very amateur job. Yeah. At this code. Like, it, it all works. And there are some decent things in there that mean it's not, like, extremely computationally wasteful. But in general, I think it could be a lot better. This is riveting podcast content. <laughs> <laughs> Let me verbally walk you through How my Python code. code. Oh, my God. Do you find... Okay. How come you started using Python? Um... Since you had so much prior experience with like C++. Yeah, because I've been using C++ for years, but I've been using C++ in code that had already been written and I was just changing it. Yeah. And so starting from scratch in C++ seems like overkill a lot of the time. Like I know that my, my, my software that I'm writing is not going to be huge. It's not going to be that complicated. So going into C++ and like building, making a make file for, for compiling it and building all this, this infrastructure that I'm used to, because I used to work on a very large simulation, um, bringing all that over to like a little shrimpy, little ragtag kind of tiny code was overkill. And in a lot of times, a, a barrier to understanding for anyone other than me, because I was writing code like I would for a a simulation that had probably 50 different people working on it and i was just one person so it, the the structure of it really got out of hand and anyone else looking at it like would be so confused python is a very readable code language like it's it it's very like say it like you see it kind of direct and it's generally just approachable code Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what I needed. I needed something more simple to even my own understanding. Like I'd go back and look at code that I'd written in C++ like a month before. And I'd be like, what is this doing again? Like what is this weird like uh, import thing that I have? And also C++ sucks for plotting things. <laughs> like what I had, I'm sure there's a better way because I always used root to plot things when I was using C++ because that, that uh, infrastructure for exporting root data files. Root is, um, for those at home <laughs> that like really want to know, um, root is the data analysis framework written by people, physicists at CERN for, for analyzing their big data stuff. So it's very specific to particle physics and it's very specific to massive data sets like millions of events with different, like all with like 20, 30, 40 different variables that they have data for. It's like huge data. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was used to using and that would plot everything for me. But when you're writing outside of the context of a simulation that already exists, it's stupid to export your data as root files and then plot that way. And then, so what I was doing <laughs> was that I had a function that took my data and uh, piped it. It was like there was a, um, a wrapper for communicating from C++ directly to Bash. And so I go through that to call GNUplot. And then I output all my data to text files, to like CSVs. And then I import those back into GNUplot with a CSV reader. And then I'd plot with GNUplot. Which is stupid. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Python, you've got like matplotlib. <laughs> it just does it for you. And you can just plot straight in your in your files. And since a lot of my my simulation right now, since especially because it's young code, you need plots to see that it's doing what you want. Yeah. Like you, it's just all all the information I get from my simulation is is plots. 
And so it was essential that I could plot frequently and easily. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do that in C++. And you really can in Python. So that's why I switched. I was talking to my one friend who... You have other friends? It's Vinny. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, we were in 401. Mm-hmm. And I was working on my Python code. Mm-hmm. And I guess he doesn't have much experience with Python. Um, I know he used to do computer science. I don't know what he's worked with. Mm-hmm. Probably Java. That's what they learn here for CompSci. Maybe. But I remember I ran something and then a plot came up. Or no, I was, I was in Jupiter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what that is. Well, the audience probably doesn't. It's a, it's an IDE for Python. An which integrated, is the integrated development environment. environment. Yeah. Which is basically like an in-browser code runner. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to best describe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like Google Docs for code. <laughs> Essentially. Um, and for Python specifically, yeah. Yeah. So I had a block of code that spit out a plot right underneath it. And he looks at me, he's like, you can do that? <laughs> yeah, and I think Python's nice also because you can run it in the command line. You can just start Python without writing like a a whole script and running it Mm -hmm. you can just start python and step by step tell it to do things until you get the result you want which is really nice when in certain situations like i got sent a bunch of data and i'm so stuck in the c plus plus mindset that the first thing i did was open a script like a new a new python file for going through this data like parsing it into arrays and then pumping that into a plot and then i realized that Python works in the command line, and I didn't need to do that. I could just go into Python, like start it, and say, "Look at this file," and then that's it. Like mm-hmm. you're good. So I'm I'm very much stuck in the C plus plus mindset where everything's generally harder than it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, obviously though, C plus plus exists for a reason, and a lot of people use it for a reason, and I I'm glad that I know it. Um, and it's object oriented, which is advantageous in a lot of scenarios, and it's like very very highbrow code you know yeah but python's just so much more approachable and accessible and for someone who has a very weird background in computer science it's nice to go back to python because my like my education in computer science beyond like introductory like here's how you write a little uh uh choose your own adventure game in python <laughs> i jump straight from that to here's this massive c simulation of a particle detector system that hundreds of physicists have worked to develop fix it <laughs> not really fix it but like change it in ways that are productive and i'm like <laughs> cool <What? laughs> great like my first day in my first lab like over the summer um because I, I trained really for like a semester but my first day was here's the Jayant 4 manual. Read it. And Jayant 4 is like the particle detector simulation kind of framework. You define like geometries and material properties and mm-hmm. everything to make realistic simulations of experiments. But it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I had a, like a semester, maybe two semesters of coding experience and I was so unprepared for that. So now my background in code is very weird. You, you got the base level, you got the upper level. I just need the middle, which I feel like is what I'm getting from this semester. And I'm really glad. I'd like to learn a little bit more, obviously. Actually, a, a lot more. I'd like to learn all, all of it. I'd well, like to know. <laughs> if you follow through with your plan of study for the DOE fellowship, mm-hmm. you can. I know. So Matt and I were working today on applying to the uh, Department of Energy what is it called? Computational Science Graduate Fellowship, right? Uh, I think you skip graduate. I think it's just fellowship. No, there's it's four letters, though. I think it's, it's CSGF. Maybe. I which could is be wrong. such a terrible sequence of letters. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue like GRFP. GRFP even is a little bit much. I just think, yeah, it's a bit much. But I was going to say four-letter acronyms are usually pretty clunky. Mm. Slack. Slack is five letters. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. S-L-A-C. There's no K in Slack. I'm talking about Stanford Linear Accelerator Center. Oh, I was thinking of Slack, like Slack. Oh, your mind just wanders to Slack because you like it. Or because I don't know what the S-L-A-C is. You don't know Slack? No. We come from different backgrounds. Yes, we do. (laughs) I don't deal with that. That's weird to me. I've been so 
engulfed in particle accelerator and detector systems forever. I like, bet you don't know what Mercury is. <laughs> the planet? No, not the planet. The, the element? integrator. You silly goose. You silly particle physicist. Do you smell my candle? Mm. Not really. Oh, it's nice. This one's more subtle. I've just spent so much of... Oh my gosh. So I spent the majority of my day today like cleaning up my room packing mm-hmm. and i've had lo-fi on and my candle on mm-hmm. so now i'm insensitized to candle scents oh no but i'm also hearing lo-fi in my head <laughs> like i shut it off and it uh, keeps going when i was getting ready to leave and i swore i could still hear it yeah because it's especially because like the live streams of it they're not like the loop of songs that they play is not long so when you're listening to lo-fi for like four hours even like it does not take long you've already heard the same song at least like twice or three times yeah and they all sound quite similar yeah so it's just that like driving beat and like gentle crackly sounds and then maybe some samples from an old movie and you're good you get to a point where you tune it out so it's all just kind of background noise Mm. but then it gets to that one that you don't like (laughs) and it seems to come on every single time (laughs) because all of them come on every single time it's not a very large set no, of music. I suppose not. But it I is great. I remember when I was going to try and make a lo-fi song. Yeah. That never happened. I remember when I wanted to do so many things. Yeah. Wow. I think one of my biggest issues is that there are so many things that I want to do mm. that like require just a little bit more effort than I put in <laughs> between me thinking i want to do that and then me finding something else cool that i want to try doing Mm. it's like that whole jack of all trades thing (laughs) you know there's like a second stanza to that poem that reverses the meaning that everyone uses it as because everyone says like jack of all trades master of none but it's like better than the master of one or some bullshit yeah it like the moral of that poem is not that like if you do a lot of things you'll be shitty at everything it's good it's It's a good thing it's that it's better to be diversely skilled than to dig yourself into a hole Mm -hmm. like but it's it's quoted to mean the opposite so often drives me nuts so if you're a jack of all trades be proud of it you're a lot better off than others are you good (laughs) I think it's your seating position. Well, part of it is that I haven't yet changed the place where my mic is, so I have to, like, lean. Yeah. But also just the whole day. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm dying. I, like, my whole, like, shoulder system <laughs> feels like it's just bruised. <laughs> I don't... The bones and all. Yeah. It's fine. I'm just wounded mm. from the semester it's been a long one that's for it's sure. been like actually long it's been 17 weeks so you realize that mentally though it's been about <laughs> double that yeah i like the um someone made a bot on reddit for the stony brook reddit yeah that posts the uh the mr crabs ringing the cowbell meme every every week and says like week 17 give it up for week 17 and so like they get posted on like mondays and so i saw that this week and i'm like how are we 17 weeks into a semester like i always thought the semester was like 12 weeks tops and it's week 17 like i'm tired i think because part of it's because like things got our schedule got mixed up in the past few years because of like breaks changing and yeah, but they certainly haven't added up to five weeks, though. Well, yeah, but I would like I think I don't know where I thought it was. I always thought no, I, weeks. it was always eighteen. Yeah, I have no clue. I don't know where you got twelve from. I don't know, but in my brain, I'm always like because I think it's because like by the time we finish classes, we're on like usually on homework twelve, like for problem uh, sets. So yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, so the semester is twelve weeks, but that doesn't factor in like if you miss a week for an exam. Or, like, for Thanksgiving break or anything, and so... <laughs> well, because if you have 18 weeks in a semester, mm-hmm. finals is two, so that's down to 16. And then you have typically two exams for a class that that brings you down to 14. Uh, factor in a break. Oh, no, we get homework over breaks, so you can't really factor that in. <laughs> uh, 
my heart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then we have two weeks I'm going to count it for. Finals? I already, I already did finals. So I got uh, distracted. Where does the extra thing go? Well, sometimes... Oh, the first week of classes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because so a lot of times you don't have... We had homework zero. We started counting from zero this year. Yeah. We had problem set zero so to problem set 12, so that's actually 13. So that brings us down to 13 weeks. So now we have one more. I don't know where the the third or the 13th is. Somewhere lost in the space of calendars. How do you feel about parameter spaces? What? How do you feel about parameter spaces? Can you be more specific? When you typically learn about, you know, the world, everything is based on coordinates and like X, Y, Z. So those spatial dimensions are what you call your space. But a lot of the times when you're doing research and you're analyzing certain systems and how certain effects uh, play out in that system, how certain initial conditions affect it, uh, rather than when you're analyzing all that, you want to analyze how specific things affect it, Mm -hmm. like certain parameters will Mm -hmm. induce a certain effect. So one of the ways you can analyze it is to plot its behavior as functions of like one parameter versus another parameter versus another so that all occurs in parameter space okay where certain parameters take the place of your xyz you're just asking me how i feel about like variables i don't well in general like i don't know why this dawned on me but it's a really odd shift that everyone makes when they're when they start doing research and like experiments mm. and stuff that really doesn't get introduced to you mm. going from your usual spatial framework of the world to looking at things in terms of you know parameters i guess i've never really thought about it it is something like whenever i start a new a new research project it feels like the first thing you do is get used to the, like the the units you're using and the the things that are important and how how you look at the system not just from like spatial dimensions but like what's important and so like in my system that i'm working on now i had to get used to um uh, it's like in cylindrical coordinates essentially for spatial dimensions, except instead of Z, we have uh, C, like the ugly Greek letter with all the loops. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Why? Which is Z minus the speed of light times time passing. Okay. Because it allows us to look at the system outside of its propagation as a beam because the entire system is moving at the speed of light but it's such a thing that i just accepted really fast that now like my my advisor will ask me questions about it like mathematically and i'll be like confused because i forget it's not just like z it's not the same thing and it's more complicated than that and it serves to differentiate coordinates relative to beam propagation Versus coordinates relative to plasma propagation. And it's all like big brain stuff that you just got to accept. And all of it's in weird, wacky units that I've just come to accept. Like time and inverse plasma frequencies and (coughs) everything's in terms of like the mass of the electron, the plasma frequency, the charge of the electron, and the speed of light. So it's all like normalized units that I've just gotten okay with really Mm. fast. I remember... um. Over the summer, I was working on a problem, and my my advisor had asked me to work like to calculate the lifetime of a of a nucleus. So it was a time that I was calculating, and I looked at his notes, and he had it listed in Fermi's, which is a distance unit. And so I'm looking at I'm looking at it, and I'm like, how in the world? Because it also wasn't matching my numbers. I'm like, how in the world has he calculated a lifetime and left it in Fermi's? I don't 
I don't get it. Do you, is that still an unresolved question? No, it's resolved. I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and so I I went to a meeting with him and I'm like, hey, it was like my first week working on the project, right? So I, I'm like, hey, like, I don't know if I'm just not understanding the units you're using here, but like, I'm not getting the same numerical answer as you are here and you're listing something in Fermi's where I'd expect it to be in seconds. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, they, they had messed up the math, like, algebraically or something, or numerically, so it w- the number was just wrong. And he's like, yeah, so it's actually Fermi's over the speed of light. And that's just left implicit? Yeah, it was implied inverse speed of light. And I'm like... <laughs> So, I mean, I've only been working on that project for a week, so I really wanted to seem like I knew what was going on, but the whole time I was, like, internally, like, why the fuck would you do that to me? Like, yeah. I've never worked in theory, and I've never worked in your lab group. I don't know what's implicit here. Like, why would you leave anything like that not completely clear? <sighs> I think that's a huge problem with the way scientific results are typically presented, mm-hmm. especially in journal article articles. Did I just say journal? What did I? Journal. I've had such a problem the past few days with stumbling over my words. Yeah, I think we just... might <laughs> be a little tired. <laughs> I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, I'd say we're both exhausted because the semester is over and we just applied to grad school. And I'm gonna be up till 9 a.m. tomorrow. Driving? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'd rather you did not do that. <laughs> I just want to go home. Oh, <laughs> I can God. sleep. I Anyways, especially in journal articles, mm-hmm. um, so many things are left implied because, of course, who's going to read it except people in the know? Yeah. But that's such a huge barrier to students, especially. What's because... that? A barrier to entry? <laughs> right. I'm surprised you didn't discuss it last week. And it's almost always just units yeah. that just get left out. Mm-hmm. and just not discussed ever so you have to go on an entire like review of literature just mm-hmm. to find out what units what they units use for this been. one specific measurement yeah everyone be explicit about your units mm. never never publish a paper without defining your entire unit system i feel like it's just rude it should be a whole... It should be not allowed. It could take a tiny little section. Just one not... line saying, here we're using normalized units where this is this and this is that. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. One sentence. For all those actively publishing uh, scientific results that listen to this podcast. Well, I guess what the problem is, is that when you're a student, it's obviously easier to you know recognize that as a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you... It's one of those things you don't realize... Yeah, because as you understands. continue on in your career, you know, you spend your entire time conversing with people who know what's going on, mm. um, that understand that so-and-so is implied, but not this, that you should discuss this, not mm. that, because, you know, if you're asking questions about that, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And you just get so far removed from the position of not understanding. Your candle's farting. My candle is crackling. It doesn't sound like a crackle. It sounds like a crackle. Here, I can hold it up to the mic. It sounds like when you got a sh- uh, one of those plastic wraps and you're like peeling it off something. And it's like... You can definitely hear it. Here, do you want to hear it? Yeah, give me those headphones. (laughs) That smells really good. Can you hear it? Okay, I didn't, I was worried that I was just hearing it through the headphones. You know what it sounds like? Radio static. That's my hot take. Although, candles have a lot more uses than scent. And let me tell you why. I completely forgot to, you know, unplug my fridge and defrost it and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how can I get rid of this massive 
block of ice in less than three hours. Put your candle in there. I suppose. Because it got it to melt just enough where you could just, you know, scoot out. Snap off the chunks. Mm. What? Chunks as a word. Chunks. Don't like it. Maybe it's because you don't like having chunks of code. Yeah. Don't like chunky code. Split it up. Doesn't need to be. Doesn't need to be that long. You wanna? I have an idea. What? It'd be a fun little activity for the two of us. We will each spend a day with each other's code. Oh no. <laughs> That would be great. Like, I, like I, did my, I did my friend's code for a day. Oh, no. That would be terrible. I don't know what to do with it. I guess it's like a challenge in that you'd have to see if your code is readable enough and documented well enough for it to be at all useful. Like, could I even run your code? I'd say you could very easily run my code. I think you could easily run my code. Because it's I, split, it, the file structure is such that there's only mm. in the like top directory, there's only one actual executable file. Yeah. And I actually wrote up a whole little README yeah. in my GitHub to like you got explain it set what up? to do. Well, on the web browser. Oh, but it's not interfacing to your actual code. No. Oh, we gotta fix that. Do you have your laptop? I, I just with don't you? need to do it. At you the moment. need to do it. I don't have my laptop with me. Oh my god. That's that's a that's a later day problem. Uh, it's so important to have your code hooked up to your GitHub so you can document changes as they happen mm-hmm. instead of having to go in and what do you manually upload it every time it changes? I just don't. I've gotten to the point where I don't need to change it anymore. Oh, wild! And I primarily just have it uploaded in case. So you're not developing anymore. You're just running. Right weird i just have it set up in case any grad school uh application committees want to look at it check it out <laughs> you listed your github be impressed by it well yeah well one of the applications had a section where you could put your digital portfolio and one of the options was to put a link so i just put a link to my github <laughs> interesting and then it's also on my cv <sighs> your your Hmm? Your what? 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 Nothing. <laughs> 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 you know, I think since I'm taking my microphone home over break, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get back into making lo-fi. But instead of lo-fi, it's just gonna be you know beats. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna come back a hip-hop star. Oh yeah, you've got a month. Can you do it? I can do anything in a month. Well, really, I've got like two weeks. Yeah, because then you're gonna be traveling. Yeah. So we're probably going to have to take another break from the podcast while you're away. Well, unless you want to do some episodes yourself or with others. That's true. That's true. I'll be here with other people. Yeah, you can do I that. don't need you. That'd be a great excuse to get some guests in. I don't need you. No, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> you got your file structure to keep you company. Oh, my God. To, you have a stack exchange to talk to. I'm a strong, independent woman. Yeah, you know. I can podcast with other people, (laughs) not just you. Whatever whatever floats your boat. Whatever makes your code run, you do it. That's true. Whatever iterates through your list. (laughs) Today, I I had to implement a new data structure to my code because I I had no way of actually, like, my, my simulation, because it had been in development so much, never actually saved any data. It just plotted things and then saved pictures of plots. Yeah. Because that's all I needed until now. And so I'm like, wait, shit, I'm going to actually need data. <laughs> so I had to create a data structure this week. You know, I went through the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's getting to be a ruckus out there. It's taco night. I can hear. Taco night. I can definitely hear. It's tacos and boozy Polar Express hot chocolate. And then Star Wars. I'm not going. I'm too sleeping. Oh, did I tell you my revelation about Cats today? Cats 2019? Yes. The movie. Yeah. Slash musical. Did I tell you this? Maybe, but tell the podcast. 
Um, so I was in my meeting today with my research advisor, mm-hmm. and it, it got to the point where we already discussed all the scientific bits. Now you're just chit chatting, mm-hmm. and I mentioned I was going to see Star Wars later. So we started talking about that, and he said something about the Cats movie, and I was like, "Oh, have you seen the trailers?" You know, because if anyone's watching along at home, mm-hmm. listen along at home. However, you consume this podcast probably listening considering there's no visual element uh you should go check out the trailer for cats 2019 and just just revel in it it's just amazing but apparently his brother works in the film effects industry and heard from him that this whole this the whole movie behind the scenes Mm. was an absolute mess Mm. so they were working on it until either the day of or like a couple of days prior to the movie's release date just like trying to get these effects in order and apparently his brother had worked on a little bit of it through his company and they had to like outsource this to all different kinds of companies just trying to get it done because mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was apparently such a train wreck yeah um yeah I don't know how I got that to the front of my mind <laughs> I don't know. I have a very odd cue system in this... my mind for my thoughts. So sometimes one that like got sent to the queue. Oh my god, I'm such in the mode of like using the computing cluster that I do where I have to batch jobs to the queue. So I have some thought that I'll batch to my queue like earlier in the day that'll eventually start running. I feel like and that's I yeah. feel like this week, we're both just so tired that there's nothing to keep us trying to sound remotely cool or not, like, total dorks. Because really what this episode has been about is code structure. <laughs> That's it. That's okay. Yeah. We should probably also tidy it up because the ruckus outside will no doubt continue for many yeah. and i also have to go pack <laughs> yeah so we can, we can tie it up let's tie it up any tying up thoughts i really love python's enumerate function mm-hmm. for looping through lists it's really nice hmm, what do i like about python i think i think matplotlib is my favorite part of python because mm-hmm. it's just so integrated how do you uh, do you use plt dot? Do you set it up on axes? Uh, do you use fig? So this is so not interesting to anyone that doesn't use Python for plotting. <laughs> but I I set up subplots because usually I have to plot multiple things. Okay. So I set up subplots with like a figure and an axis, or multiple axes, and then I plot onto my axes, and then I. Pl- show the plot that's my that's how i do it i remember looking back on this i feel like such a noob but in the moment i was so i had this huge issue over the summer where i was trying to you know make a pie plot plot and then save it and every time i would run the code and go to the saved image it would just be blank and I spent so long, and I eventually just gave up and like went about it a different way. Screenshots, That's more or less, because <laughs> yeah. like I didn't really need to We've save them. We've all done it, right? <laughs> We've all taken a screenshot of our plot because we don't want to rerun it with a save yeah. function written into the code. So then I went back a couple weeks ago, and I had to. I just wanted to save some plots just for my reference and like so I could put them into some uh, slideshows. And that went fine. Like I got, you know, it saved well. Mm. I was able to actually see a plot on the saved image. And then I remembered back to what I was doing when I was having this problem. And what I did is that I would have all the PLT lines Mm -hmm. and then I would show the plot. But then I put the save plot after the show plot. Mm-hmm. So once you show it, it resets it to a new one. So yeah, then I would just save, save it. First. Yeah. Yep, that sure is a thing. I think I've done that. 
Yeah, you, you sure should save your plot before you show it. Yeah. So if there's one lesson that you take home from this episode, well, there's many lessons that you could take home from this episode. It's a really rich content episode, you ask me. Number one, organize and, you know, think out your code before you write it. Write it down on paper. Two, write it in Python. <laughs> Because that's what all the cool kids do now. Sure. Three, save your plots before you show them. It's really deep. Uh, four, <laughs> check out my GitHub repositories. <laughs> uh, GitHub.com slash MM Murphy. <laughs> Shameless plug for your own GitHub. Yeah. Why not? Oh, my God. I think my spine's going to fall out. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm perishing. I'm melting slowly, I think. Uh, on that note. On that note, uh, have a wonderful holiday. This will be our last episode before all the holidays. So we'll see you in 2020. Next decade. Except we won't probably won't see you, but like you'll hey, hear us. Hey, you never know. You never know. But um, have a lovely holiday, if, if possible be safe primarily yeah be safe take time for yourself families can be a lot if you don't have a good time in the holidays i know that's shitty i hope you can find something nice for yourself and sleep drink water what else do we got and don't drink eggnog this stuff's nasty yeah well do people actually like eggnog they people definitely do it's still a thing i don't get it but it's like just things I can't eat anyway. So that's fair. I don't. I don't know if I've actually genuinely ever had it because it's always kind of grossed me out. But anyway, we'll see you in 2020.